Okay, let's see. I need an elder. Where is one of our elders? I need an elder. Calling an elder. Do we have an elder here? Right now? Really? Okay, they're going to hear about this. Okay. Okay, this is your two-minute warning. Two-minute warning. We're in a little behind. Too many people to talk to. So this last week was quite the uh, exciting week for some of us who are from the just a little further west in the Midwest. So uh, thanks for all your emails and connections. Uh, third quarter, I got to, I was a little worried, uh, but it worked out okay. Yesterday was a big game day here. Uh, congrats to the Purdue fans. Sorry to the Indiana fans. I know that was a big, that was a big game. Bobby Knight was back. So that was kind of cool. And little known fact, there's always a connection to my home state of Kansas and the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, yesterday, Bill Self got his 700th win, and he did that at 58 year, or 57 years of age and three months, and he's now second behind uh, Bobby Knight, who got his 700 wins at 56 years of age. So see, we have an Indiana connection now, <laughs> right? So anyway, my wife, my life doesn't completely revolve around sports, but uh, those things are, are kind of cool. Uh, lots of stuff going on this weekend. We had, um, boy, we had a few kids here from the congregation that were in performances uh, with uh, uh, Peter Pan, I think, Izzy, played the lead role there, and uh, uh, didn't get a chance to get to uh, the performances last night. Uh, oh, my goodness, uh, for, that would be for Scrog Scroggums. Right? For Audrey. Aub Aubrey or Audrey? I always... Audrey. So that was... that. What was the name of the play? Yeah, it was an opera. English Baroque opera, I think. So we have some very talented uh, uh, children and youth here in the congregation. So um, down the road, I slowly would like to just find some way of publicizing, either via our Facebook page or announcements, just when we have you know special things or we have members that are in. And then that way, if you're looking for something to go to, uh, you've got some, something to go watch and cheer for and give thanks to God. So, okay. All right. Um, let's see. Got a few other announcements I'm going to throw up here before we begin our Bible study for today. Can you pull up that Word document I had? The first one is just a need. Some of you know uh, Michael Hallberg, uh, been a member here for many years, and uh, he has moved. In the past, we've had many generous individuals and couples that have picked him up and taken him to church. He is unable to drive, and he has moved to, it's down about 40, 42nd and uh, 465 here on the west side, Michael Hallberg, can you make that a little bigger, Gamay Lane. We are looking for somebody to pick him up um, Sunday morning, um, either service, and then bring him home. So if there's anybody on the 465 route, 
Uh, we've emailed a few people, but haven't found anybody yet that can do that. Um, if we don't find somebody, one of two things is going to happen. One, I'm going to go down and pick him up every morning and bring him to church. Um, or Pastor Miro, who lives kind of out west and drives into St. Peter downtown, will pick Michael up and bring him to church. So whatever we can do to get a brother in Christ uh, to church, if you can help out, even if you can't do it every Sunday, if you're able to do that, talk to me or Pastor Grady uh, and let us know. Okay? Is there some popping in the speakers or is that just me? I don't know what's going on with that. We'll have to sick our sound team on that. Okay. Maybe that's my beard. Uh, the other thing, if you uh, noticed this morning, we are trying out something new. Um, I noticed that uh, we do a wonderful job with activity bags for the little, little kids. Um, but uh, for the ones that are just beginning to read and sometimes are still a little antsy in the pew and need something to do, uh, we now have some worship notes, which are basically bulletins for the younger children. And uh, came across these, uh, uh, a pastor friend of mine, Greg Truey, uh, his wife, uh, makes these. And they were very inexpensive. So uh, we copied, I think, 50 of those. We'll have those in the narthex. The ushers will have them to hand it out. Let us know with those of you that have kids in the 5 to 12-year-old range if that's something that's helpful. Um, it helps to teach a little bit about what's going on in the divine service. Ask them to think about the hymns, the sermon, and teaches the liturgy as well. So... We don't want it to be a distraction, but if there's a way we can help with the younger ones learning what we do and why, that's all good and God-pleasing. So just uh, let us know on that, okay? Uh, scroll on down. Welcome, uh, Mike, Laura, and Susie. Are you here with us today? Yes, you are. Uh, Mike, uh, Lori, uh, Laura, and Susie uh, took their confirmation vows uh, this morning and, uh, and joined us here at Advent. Uh, you don't need to stand up. Let's just welcome them. <laughs> Mike, anything you want to say about yourself or your wife or your daughter? He married up and has great kids. You'll see his, uh, their son uh, down here uh, from time to time. He has uh, kind of in between, kind of started seminary, um, but uh, wife is uh, uh, a PA, correct? Physician's assistant up in Fort Wayne. So he'll be down here sometimes with the kids visiting. He's been with us probably for a year or two. And, uh, and, and funny kind of connection, their son uh, Dave, Dave or David, uh, was actually out in uh, Valentine, Nebraska. Um, so that was still further west than where I used to be. But we had some connections through a pastor there as well. And uh, so kind of kind of neat connections. And we have some guests here today um, who <laughs> we might be related <laughs> So my dad's side of the family are all peepin' brinks from a little town called Lockwood, Missouri, the old Lutheran church, which uh, uh, isn't really a church anymore, in Minert. Um, that's where my grandma, my uncle, and a whole bunch of, of uh, family are buried. Um, peepin' brink family, you guys are Schnellies, and so uh, welcome with you here today. They're traveling through uh, uh, members at uh, Trinity uh, there in... Um, New Haven, Missouri. Daughter is in her first year of deaconess studies up at Fort Wayne. So good to have you with us. And you want to make some family connections here real quick? You want to tell us? Okay. So family cousins. Wonderful. Good to have you with us today. Okay. Okay. Um, let's see. Lenten theme. Oh, we, so we are in the Gesima Sundays now. This is only the second year we've done kind of the one-year calendar. So you're probably... You know, see that on the bulletin, Gesima, and you're like, you know, somebody sneezed, you know, bless you, <laughs> Gesima. Um, but Gesima simply, is, simply means days, 
uh, which means the time before Easter. So historically, the church would count down this time. We're not in Lent yet. This is what's known as pre-Lent. And so this Sunday is Septuagesima, uh, which is 70, 70 days. Uh, and it's approximate. So those of you that are really anal and cross off the calendar, don't do that. You'll get screwed up. The historic church didn't think that way, okay? Um, they weren't thinking in terms of specific days, 10 being a holy number. So we're approximately 70 days before Easter. Next Sunday will be Sexagesima, 60, and then uh, Quinquagesima, about 50 days. So there's, there's three of those, and you'll kind of sense some of the theme. Now, Ash Wednesday is February 26th, uh, so um, a little early this year, uh, not too early though. Um, and so our theme this year for Lent will be Eyes of Jesus. There'll be some devotional books, uh, as we've been doing for the last uh, few seasons of Advent and Lent. Uh, and there also this year will be a calendar. So there's a calendar with your children, or those of you that like to cross off things. Uh, calendar, you can uh, have that. And there's a little Bible reading for each day. And then hopefully as a congregation, we'll do what we've done before. Uh, just a short little devotion. It's just something to remind us that we're part of the body of Christ together, even when we are apart from each other on Sunday. And so we'll be studying through that devotion uh, together as well. And of course, then on Wednesday nights, starting with Ash Wednesday, we'll have a supper. So come join us for that. Uh, and then a special service on Wednesdays. Okay. Now, the last question that Pastor Grady and I wanted to ask for you uh, and raise your hand. We talked about it last year, but we didn't seem to have enough interest, but we want to continue to do that. If you are someone that either has too much stuff going on at night or you don't drive, we would like to know during Lent or Advent or other special times of the church year, should we consider offering maybe a service at noon, okay, earlier in the day, okay? If you are someone that would like that, whether it's getting off work and coming to a short service uh, or whether you just don't like being out at night, raise your hand and let us know if that would help you in any way. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Can I take you out of school? <laughs> you know, when you go to the doctor, you get a note, right, to take back to school? They should probably recognize a pastor's note. Yeah, we could probably work something out. I would love for you to get out of school to come to church for a little while. Yeah, that'd be good. Okay, well, thank you for, thank you for letting us know. Keep that, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know we'll, we'll, we might kind of start small this year and then slowly add some more of those as we go. Okay, any other announcements or questions? Anything I missed? We're good? Okay. Let's get started with our devotion for the day, uh, our devotion, our Bible study. So we are uh, finishing up here, and we're getting close, folks. The Saving Truth Doctrine for Lay People uh, by Kurt Marquardt. And uh, we are on the last part here of the Sacrament of the Altar, which is on page 117 if you have the uh, hard copy. Um, I don't know what it is in Kindle, but we are on the last section entitled Sacrament, Church, and Confession. Let's begin with a word of prayer. The Lord be with you. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing these, your sons and daughters, before you in your holy word, where you come to us as well in the sacraments that we receive this day in our divine services. Open our ears, O Lord, that we may hear your word. Open our eyes that we may see Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Sacrament, Church, and Confession. In the Old Testament, the details of public worship were carefully prescribed by law. 
And on Wednesday morning, if you're able to join us, not everybody can, we've been studying the book of Leviticus. And one of the things we've marveled at is how specific, how very specific and detail-oriented our Heavenly Father is in terms of how things are designed, even for the, the tabernacle itself, okay, uh, the, the tent of meaning, the tabernacle, which became the temple. I mean, God was very specific. I mean, blueprints, uh, measurements, um, how things were going to be designed, um, and the order of stuff. The other thing we've marveled at when we've studied Leviticus is the offerings that were to be brought, okay, and how specific uh, with the different types of sin and how God is a God of order, not a God of, of, of chaos, right? And so in the Old Testament, the details of public worship were carefully prescribed by law. The New Testament has no such Levitical regulations, which is part of why still today, <laughs> if you travel around the Christian church, or I think it's probably fair to say even if you travel around the Lutheran church, <laughs> you're picking up what I'm laying down, you'll see a lot of different... You know, and, and, and I'm going to probably step into an uncomfortable space here and say kind of types of worship, right? Um, and so this is something that needs to be, be thought through. Uh, the New Testament has, has no such Levitical regulations, okay, uh, which we're going to answer the question for you, however, that, that liturgy uh, is not an adi opera, though, okay? And so while there's no Levitical regulations, meaning that God said this offering needs to be presented on this day for this type of sin, there is still order that is retained in the New Testament. So don't confuse Levitical regulation <laughs> with that which Christ gave in terms of mandate to his apostles, nor that which the apostles taught in the New Testament, right? And so this would be the pattern of sound words, okay? This is where we would talk about words like uh, didache, where we talk about Acts 2, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers, okay? So there is order, there is liturgy there, um, and, and even with the Lord's Supper, as Jesus celebrated and said to do this in remembrance of him, um, there is regulation there. But that's different from Levitical regulation, which was all pointing forward to Christ, Okay? Let's move on here and see if we can wrap our head a little bit more around this. Worshiping God, quote, read it with me, in spirit and in truth, John 4, 24, however, is not an excuse for shapelessness and whim, which is what some people would say. Well, we don't need to, it doesn't matter what style of worship we have. or We can, we can worship any way we want. And you've probably heard this before, maybe thought that yourself. I know I did. I went through a, a, a time, it was, it was right after college, it was about four to six years before seminary, and, uh, and, and I was convinced the, the, the church needed to change. I've shared this with you before. The church wasn't reaching the younger people like me, right? I loved music. I was a drummer. You know, I wanted, I wanted somebody to tell me what to do and how to live, and by gosh and by golly, if you just gave me that, then then I, would, I, I could be a good Christian. Just believe in me, coach, right? Just, just believe in me, coach, that I've got the ability to do that, and, and I'll do what you ask me to do, coach, and, and, and I'll go through all the practice, and I'll do all that, and eventually I'll earn my starting spot, and that's kind of what we fall into sometimes as Christians. Public worship in the New Testament is, in fact, shaped 
by the one external observance of which the Lord said, read it with me, do this in remembrance of me, okay? How many of you have been to uh, St. Mary's Church in Wittenberg? A few of you, okay. Um, Mr. Colson, you want to tell us what's behind the altar at St. Mary's Church in, in Wittenberg? There's actually a replica of it at our International Center in St. Louis at the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. It was just done about five, six years ago. Yeah, it's an altarpiece, and it's got four panels uh, that uh, sit there behind the altar, painted by uh, uh, Lucas Cronach, uh, the elder and the younger. And back then, of course, they had a whole team. Their artist would have kind of like their own paint shop. And so sometimes you'd have apprentices that would work on different pieces as well. But it, it, was, it was the Cronach father and son that did it. Uh, and at the very center of this altarpiece, which graces St. Mary's Church in Wittenberg, do you remember what the center panel is? The Last Supper. Right in the middle. To the left is baptism, baptismal font. And the Cronachs painted in some historical figures, probably because they shelled out money for the painting. Okay? Uh, and members of the Reformation as well. And to the right of it is confession absolution. There's actually the Office of the Keys. So there's the loosing key being used on someone who is repentant and sorry for their sin. And there's a binding key being held up against somebody who's defiant and not sorry for their sin. And then very, at the very bottom of those three panels is, uh, uh, I think it's Luther in the pulpit. Uh, and there's a crucifix in the middle and people off to the left side preaching law and gospel, preaching specifically Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sin. So these, these four panels we have, word and sacrament depicted uh, very clearly, but at the center of it is the Lord's Supper. And so the Lord's Supper, not only for the apostles who receive this from Jesus, but I would say even for us still today as Lutheran Christians, the sacrament of the altar is the center of it all. Okay. Matter of fact, all the divine service, if you flip through the five divine services in the hymnal, everything builds up to what? The sacrament of the altar. Okay? There's technically three services within the divine service. Okay? Uh, the first one has been added in historically, but I think that's, that's okay in my opinion. That's the service of confession and absolution. And then you, you have the service of the word which is the reading of the lections or the lessons that are appointed for the day, okay? And then the hinge between word and sacrament is the, what's the hinge to the book? The sermon or the homily, okay? But all of that is preparation now for entering into the Lord's presence in the sacrament of the altar when our Lord himself descends from heaven above where he has ascended and takes up residence under what? Simple bread and wine, the very body and blood of Jesus completely there present with us. Now, there's other cues that, that prepare us for this ahead of time. We carry a cross in procession. When you bow, are you bowing to the cross? Are you bowing to the pastors? <laughs> you better not be. <laughs> the acolytes? No, you're, you're bowing because you believe what's going on here. God himself is coming to be where two or three or more are gathered in his name. You see that? So that's why we have procession. Same thing with the gospel procession. When we do a gospel procession, and we now won't do it again until Easter, uh, but it just seems to, it, it serves to teach what? 
Who is literally coming to be right here in the middle of you? Jesus, right? And so we read his red-letter words, <laughs> right? You know, he is here with us in this way. So all these things at the church, and, and many of those things are those little things, um, are what we would call audiophora. Is a church sinful or wrong if it doesn't have a gospel processional? No, not at all, okay? But everything that we do must always serve to teach and convey the truth of Scripture. If it doesn't, or if it's false in some way, then we should, okay, cut it out. Remember who did that one? Joey? Oh, you guys are killing me. The sitcom with the twin little girls? Full house, yeah. I try and keep you on your toes. I work really hard at that. You're like, how did Full House make it into Marquardt's book? Okay, so do this in remembrance of me. This is the center now, um, uh, you know, of, of public worship. This forms the pivot of the church's life and action. I, I like Marquardt's use of the word pivot of the church's life and action. It's the focal point round which she gathers. And you can read through 1 Corinthians 11, 20 to 30, as Paul is teaching the Corinthians about the importance of the Lord's Supper, of why it's so important. Now, together with the preaching for which it is, for which it is the context, the Supper gives the basic frame of the church's public liturgy or service. When we speak of, quote, the liturgy, and remember last week or the week before we talked about that term liturgy, liturgia, which actually is, is a word that, uh, uh, that has been adopted from the Romans. Liturgia in Greek literally means service from above, or we would think about it in terms of public works, right? So the government provides roads you can drive on, sewers to take away all your waste, you know, running water, you know, all those other. Those are all services for the people. So liturgy is the service uh, of, of one who has authority for those that are in need of it, okay? Which is actually a wonderful word when you start to understand what liturgy is all about in the divine service, okay? Uh, so when we speak of the liturgy, we mean the service of the Holy, of Holy Communion. I have a good friend, uh, Pastor David Ullman, he's in Nebraska, and, and uh, a 2004 graduate of, uh, of Fort Wayne. And every time he sends an email, at the bottom is, it doesn't matter what his email is about, you know, congratulations on your Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. And then his, his tagline on the bottom of his email is, quote, it's all about the Mass, right? Every email he sends out to everybody, it's all about the Mass, Okay. And, of course, the Mass is the historic term for what? Sacrament of the altar for communion. Okay? We're not afraid of that word as Lutherans. Um, I think we have been afraid of it because Rome has come up with their own definition of the Mass. Right? So you say Mass to uh, you know, uh, Roman Catholics or to other people, and they'll think the abuses of the Mass or the misunderstanding of that. Okay? Um, in our Lutheran confessions, we say very statedly, we retain the mass, right? And we retain the order, okay? Um, the, the Lutheran confessions are actually kind of phrased that way, okay? Um, so when we speak of the lit liturgy, we mean the service of Holy Communion. This service, says the Augsburg Confessional, let's read the Augustana together, is preserved among us in its proper use. The use which was formerly observed in the church and which can be proved by St. Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 
and following and by many statements of the Father. Wow. Did you catch what you just read? This service, service of Holy Communion, the liturgy is preserved among us in its proper use. Can you pull up 1 Corinthians 11.20 real quick, Matthias? The use which was formerly observed in the church and which can be proved by St. Paul's statements in 1 Corinthians 11.20. Now, when you see the pattern of sound words, when you see, again, Acts 2, okay, uh, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers, these are all references to liturgy or to order that God has given, okay? Um, let's read it together. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, okay? Why? Two reasons Paul says there. One, there is a lack of faith or belief on some part, but if you read through the context of this, he talks about order, the order of what people are doing, that they're not following the order that, that God has given, okay? Um, so that liturgia, how God is giving this is important. Now, we're not talking here about what tunes, some of you musicians, right, you, you like some tunes and, you know, or, or your, well, Divine Service 3, that's the godly ordained divine service that we must use, you know, or I like divine service one, or I like divine service four, or, or I like, uh, you know, adding different hymns in like divine service five, you know, and you know what, <laughs> forget about all that. <laughs> the, the pillars of the service, the order is still there. Music, of course, has changed in its expression, even the English language, okay. I like the these and the thous and the thys, which is kind of weird. I'm only 46 years old, right, um, but I grew up with the these and the thous and the thys. And to me, the these and the thous and the thys were reserved only for God. And we don't do that anymore in our English language, really. Okay? Or a language that is reserved for the divine or for, um, you know, for uh, royalty, if you will. Uh, now everything is, is, you know, first, second, third person, very simple, very direct. Um, and I don't want to get into that. I mean, our culture has changed, right? So King James Bible, actually great translation. But most people today, it's hard to read. Why? Why? We don't talk like that anymore. You go to school, you know, are kids learning Old English in that sense? I know that's not the right way to say it, okay? Actually, you guys are from Trinity, New Haven. My favorite Bible is Beck's Bible. Beck's Bible, which lays it out, <coughs> Dr. Beck, um, was, is really the only Lutheran translation of the Bible. It's written in a very understandable fashion. And it wasn't written necessarily for academic pursuit, okay? The English Standard Version that we have, which is a, is a good translation, it has errors in it. Every translation of the Bible is going to have errors in it, okay? That's why at seminary they make us ask Pastor Grady about Greek. How did that go? Whoop! I mean, you know, and, and we all felt the same way. Because it's not native to any of us. It's not. So uh, Hebrew and Greek, you talk to any pastor and he'll tell you. And it's kind of funny when we get together and we meet people, you know, one of the things is, which one did you have a harder time with, you know, Greek or Hebrew? It's kind of like the common way of greeting another pastor, you know. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, for me, Hebrew came easier than Greek for some reason, okay. Um, you know, but why do we do that? Because we have the original text. And so our job as pastors is to make sure as we teach and preach to you that, that we're not just using somebody else's translation, that we're, we're trying to convey the heart and the true meaning of, of what Scripture is getting at. Because words change, right? They just do. 
Um, and that will always be the case. Okay, I'm getting a little off topic here, but there is an order that we see from Scripture um, that is referenced. Uh, okay? Now, next paragraph. Unlike the Jewish Passover or the Day of Atonement, which took place only once a year, okay? And this was the uh, uh, yearly, as I've told the Leviticus Bible study group, this is the spring cleaning of the, of the tabernacle in the temple. Maybe you have that at your house. You take all the screens off the windows. Maybe they're out now. I've been told, see, Joey and Laura, nobody told me this when I moved to Indiana, that everybody in Indiana takes their screens off their windows for the winter. Um, I, I, we, we had storm windows <laughs> in Nebraska. Anyway, long story short, um, I, <laughs> I make myself crack up sometimes. Um, I lost my train of thought. It was really good. No, no. Well, it's like spring cleaning. So you have that time when the weather starts to, 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 to get good where you get out and you clean the garage, you clean your windows, you know, you, you start to do some yard work, uh, and maybe the house gets that good cleaning once a year where you take whatever you use. You know, my mom always used, and my wife still, Murphy's oil, and you, you wipe down all the woodwork, right, all through the whole house, and you got all the kids, you know, even the little two-year-olds, you know, who were busy, you know, crayoning on the wall earlier, now washing it down, you know, and you clean all your hard surfaces. And so the Day of Atonement was really God <coughs> cleaning because of all the sin that would come through, right? So all the blood uh, that would be covered everywhere, and I don't want to make you queasy in any way, but in this whole Levitical rite, blood is at the center of it, the nephesh, the life is, is, in, is in the blood, okay? So there needed to be cleaning, um, and there needed to be a purging now of, of all the sin that represented that or all the other stuff. Okay? The Day of Atonement, of course, was, was even more than that because it pointed forward to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world that John the Baptist identified. Right, uh, so, so Day of Atonement now uh, was all about the preparation for that okay? and forgiving people that which they need until that time was fulfilled. Okay? So unlike the Jewish Passover or the Day of Atonement, which took place once a year, our New Testament banquet is to be celebrated often. In apostolic days, the Jerusalem church seems to observe the Holy Supper daily. We're told actually in Acts, when did they come together and have the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers? Every Lord's Day. What was the Lord's Day then? The day he rose from the grave. The day, the day he conquered, okay? So Sabbath, uh, technically Saturday. You could say still technically is Saturday. That's why if you ever meet a Seventh-day Adventist, um, when will they go to church? Saturday. And they will tell you they have to do that to fulfill the law. We would say that law has been fulfilled, okay? We are encouraged by the book of Hebrews and other parts of Scripture to still observe a Sabbath rest. The early Christians observed it on Sunday. Why? It was the day that Christ rose from the grave, okay? So Sunday becomes the primary day that we do that. You can have services any other time of the week, okay? So if it works better for whatever reason, that's fine. Uh, but Sunday for the early church uh, became that day, okay? Uh, where's my place here? Uh, the Gentile congregation celebrated the Lord's Supper at least once a week, a practice also taken for granted in the Augsburg Confession and its apology. So the Lord's Supper... Um, mark the Lord's day, the day on which he had risen from the dead. Acts 20, verse 27. Let's pull that up real quick. So the resurrection is the great fact that supports the whole Christian faith and church. Okay, Acts 20, verse 27. Okay, I'm going to keep reading while he's getting that up there. 
Uh, Easter was the first Christian celebration observed every Sunday from the beginning. Okay, here we go, 20 verse 27. Let's read this together. Almost there. Well, I'm not busy. Back down. There we go. Here we go. You ready? For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And he goes before and after that, okay? Um, but the whole counsel of God now centered on Christ who is risen from the dead, okay? Um, and how he now comes to give his gifts and be with us in the Lord's Supper. We see this as well. You know, Peter's great sermon in Acts is amazing. Go back and reread that if you get a chance, okay? Um, and he simply calls sin, uh, he calls a thing what it is, and he connects it to Jesus and to his gifts, okay? Back to uh, Marquardt. In Russian, for instance, even the word for Sunday is actually resurrection. Anyone here speak Russian? I don't know anything about... I just remember Gorbachev and his birthmark and the wall coming down back in... Okay. Oh, and I remember Rocky and Ivan Drago. That was my favorite movie for many years until I saw Silverado, which is still the all-time cowboy movie. I'll get a couple emails about that one. <laughs> Later, a special annual observance of Easter and its associated events was added, and so the foundation was laid for the Christian liturgical year. Now, modern scholars like Oscar Coleman have reminded us of two important facts in this connection. First, in the New Testament and the entire ancient church, the sacrament was not an occasional extra, right? It was not, it was not just something you add to it. Now, now, we as Lutherans, especially here in the United States, have been, you know, affected by uh, <laughs> the Great Awakening, which really wasn't that awakening, uh, and, and some other things around the turn of the century, which really gave rise to pietism. And so the Lord's Supper would be, you know, well, we're only going to have it three, four times a year, maybe once a month, maybe twice a month, because we don't want it to lose its special nature. You know, the emphasis is upon you you know, being prepared and being ready. And if you would have said that to any of the apostles <laughs> or the, the first century or two of the early church, they would have probably slapped you upside the head and, and, and said, this is the gift that Christ has given. We're called to, to remember him. How often are we called to remember him? Often. And that's why, as Marquardt writes for the Jews, I mean, initially we have evidence that they would take the Lord's Supper daily, Okay. Uh, now, we do it when the body of Christ, and Marquardt's going to go this direction, the importance is of those gathered in that place and that it also be done orderly. I remember a couple of pastors I knew who, uh, they kind of got on this historic kick, and so they started meeting together at a local church every day uh, that was halfway between where they were, and they would take the Lord's Supper daily. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. And Why? And so I went and asked them about it, and it just I said, wow, I said, so you guys are meaning to take the Lord's Supper, you know, and, and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, I said, this is the historic practice. I said, I don't think it was the practice for individual people or pastors. It was the practice for the church to get together. I said, if you're really going to practice that, shouldn't you invite your congregations to join you? Dum, dum, dum. Okay. So... Yes, the Lord's Supper gives you great gifts and benefits. Yes, as I've told you and taught you, uh, if you feel in need of it, we as your pastors are here to readily give it to you. But most importantly, it's a gift that we're called 
to take together, right? And so thus they had a problem even back in the Reformation. Some of you that have studied that with private masses. Of course, different understanding of what's going on in the Lord's Supper. But that masses were being said, you know, for people, for whatever reason. It was actually a big moneymaker, okay? So the Lord's Supper is a great gift and benefit there for you, okay? Um, but is, it, is, it, is, it is best intended when and where? When the body of Christ gathers together to do that, okay? Now, if you're unable to come for some reason, you're in need, then yes, we come as pastors and we're an extension. But we are an extension of, look around, of you, you see, of the body of Christ. So there's, there's, always, that, there's always that connection, you know, to the body. And that's why Paul talks about, you know, being the different parts of the body of Christ, right? And you might wonder, am I a big toe? Am I a knobby knee? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're part of the body of Christ. Uh, and, and, and he will provide for you. Okay. All right, I'm trying to throw a few things out there to get some hands up, but nobody's, nobody's biting yet. That's okay. Uh, let's see about the second one. Second, given that the resurrection appearances of our Lord took place at meals or meal times, and we're not going to read all those, the ancient church understood the meal which her Lord had given her to observe as the occasion when the resurrected Lord himself again came and stood among them, but now invisibly. Indeed, the guests at his table until the end of time have the special blessing of, quote, those who have not seen and yet have believed. So the Lutheran apology of the Augsburg Confession, and remember, if you haven't studied much of the Lutheran Confessions, just know this, the word apology doesn't mean, I'm sorry, I wish I didn't write it. <laughs> Apology means a defense of, okay? So the apology of the Augsburg Confession uh, is now a defense of what was written over and against the Catholic theologians who took issues with it, okay? Uh, and let's read this together. We are talking about the presence of the living Christ, knowing that death no longer has dominion over him, okay? So in this supper, the, let's read it together, glory and mystery of the incarnation combine as they combine nowhere else. Let that sink in. What we confess through Lutheran confessions. Nowhere else does the body and blood of Jesus more succinctly or more completely combine for us here as we await the resurrection than in the Lord's Supper. Thus, my dear friends, little tagline at the bottom of every email, it's all about the Mass, right? makes you think. Sometimes I just want to reply to him, the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl has nothing to do with the Mass. You know, but, <laughs> but he's talking about our identity hidden with Christ in God and, and, and you know, you know it, it's, it's, yeah, makes you think. Okay, any comments before we move on? Probably. He probably thought I was a little overzealous. I've never been accused of being overzealous. Now I know you're coming to know me. All right. Uh, okay. So St. Luke indicates, oh, we didn't finish that last part. So as a medieval hymn put it, the divinity of Christ was concealed at the cross, but here in the sacrament even his humanity lies hidden. The St. Luke includes, and I'm going to kind of roll through the rest of this here, a parable quite similar to the parable of the wedding banquet for the king's son in Matthew 22. In the former we read, read it with me, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now, here's the question. When is this now? Clearly, it is this present time, 
beginning with Christ coming in the flesh. For centuries, the advance invitation had gone out through the prophets. But now the time of the banquet has come, and everything is now ready. Thus, as we observe transfiguration, who's standing alongside Jesus? Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. What are they testifying to? Christ, okay, who has come now to be the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Now, we are meant to think now of, in other words, not of a far-off future, but what is happening right now is Christ gathers his church around him from all parts of the world through his divine means of grace. Now, it is not an accident that Christ pictured his kingdom as a banquet, for he knew that he would, in that final solemn night with his disciples, go beyond pictures and parables and establish an actual, literal banquet, the sacrament, in which he, the Lamb of God, is both host and food. So here we have, read it with me, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. We have a foretaste and participation in heaven itself. And thus now we eat of the tree of life. Think about that. Let that, let that sink in, the connections from Scripture. Okay? And we have that. Look at our stained glass. We have such beautiful stained glass. We're blessed not just with musicians but wonderful artists here. Look at our stained glass there above the altar next time you, 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 you go into the sanctuary. So in this banquet, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So past and future come together here in one great present stream of salvation. Okay, And I think that's the hardest part sometimes for those of us who have been so trained by Western thought. Because everything is so logical and everything is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, A, B, C, D, right? Uh, and then we get hit with scripture that says, <laughs> with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a and we're like oh too much I can't think right uh, and so the, the Lord is, 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 is above all of that and so we kind of have to rewire ourselves in the process of catechesis and, and simply place ourselves as, as, as Luther and others have done as beggars of God's word right uh, of simply taking what he has written and, and, and believing it right so he's created you male and female. Today's day age says, you know where I'm going to go with this. You be whoever you want to be, right? And, 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 and do whatever you feel like doing, okay? Um, and, and God's Word has something totally different to say about how your life is hidden with Christ. And as a Christian, your life and even your body is not your own, Scripture says, Right? You know, I just, as I was listening to, oh my goodness, I don't even know if I want to get into the whole debates and caucus stuff. Um, I, do, I do simply want to say this. You know, you, you talk about, and, I, and I've talked with my boys about this. There was a, there was a wonderful news article earlier this morning about a, a girl who was rescuing pot-bellied pigs. Any of you have pot-bellied pigs? Okay. Supposedly they make great pets. The only pigs we ever had growing up we raised... <laughs> To make bacon. <laughs> and so she took in over this last year like 90 potbelly pigs. And I'm thinking to myself, that's a whole lot of bacon. <laughs> I know those aren't specifically, you know, pigs that are raised for food. But, dude, it's, it's pork. And potbelly pigs supposedly are a little milder. I knew a couple farmers that raised some. And, um, you know, so if you like milder pork, that's what you need to get. Um, and so she'd only uh, had managed to place 50 of those 90 in various homes. And it was a great, it was a great little news piece, you know, nothing like that. And I'm thinking to myself, what value our culture places, right, you know, on, on animals, right? 
And then if you go and you pluck an eagle's egg out of a nest, $15,000 fine, and I think it's up to, do we have, where's, uh, Jenna, is your dad here with us today? We, we've got, I don't know if he's here today. We have a game in Parks Warden here in the congregation. He can tell you exactly, you know, what happens if you, you do that with an animal. Or let's say you abuse your puppy dog or your cat, okay? We have all these, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? We have all of this applied towards animals, towards creatures. But you had a little baby in the womb, and I'm just going to leave it at that, okay? I mean, that, I mean, before you even get in to talk about what God has to say, and he has a lot to say about life, Okay, look at at where sinful man now makes his stand. And that's why we need a God who's going to break into this world with his his life, his truth, his salvation. Forgive us for that which we are part of, sometimes just guilt by association. Okay, Um, so, okay. All right. Nobody threw anything at me, thank you. Um. So a prominent feature of the sacramental feast is its social corporate nature. And so we are together in these things. And so no man is an island. And so, you know, churches, we need to bond together over God's word, uh, over that word. That, that also gives great strength because the culture and world around us is, is so starkly different. Okay? So, so life in the church uh, is, is both social and theological. Uh, and then that fellowship together in all those ways is, is, is so important. Okay? Um, to be sure, each penitent sinner receives here his own most personal portion of forgiveness, life, and salvation, yet this never takes place in isolation. And this is where I'm going to close. This never takes place in isolation. The bonds forged and renewed here between the Heavenly Father and His children on earth at the same time bind them to each other as brothers and sisters in the Son He loves. So the church as the mystical body of Christ is united most closely and solemnly by his sacramental body. And read it with me as we close. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. And so all this is given in the communion or participation in Christ's body and blood. Okay, something to think about. Hope you learned a little bit. Let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.